Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 506th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. You could get your daily reading from me and other writers. Uh, I really shouldn't be saying that. Once again, it's only my website, Feuerstein's Fire, not just a podcast, but now a website as well, covering the New York Red Bulls. American soccer, everything going on. If I can just say this, you know, we have hoped to have an American head coach come into Europe and not so much plant the flag European soil, but to prove to everyone that Americans can be head coaches as well. And they have to be in the right fit at the right time to bring our style, our will, and the passion for the game to be on the front foot on any club in anywhere in Europe, and especially in the big four European countries like in England, Germany, Italy, and Spain. Those are the top four nations in Europe that you would hope an American could go in there. Yes, Bob Bradley had his opportunity. Unfortunately, at that time, Swansea City was was not for him. Because he was doomed as soon as he was hired. Not because him being an American, but because of an ownership group, or shall we say the board, bringing him over, felt the pressure from the supporters, felt the pressure from within the club, felt pressure from the pundits of either BT Sport, Sky Sports, or BBC Sport, that basically tells him, the owner of Swansea City, that Bob Bradley does not know the Premier League. Where, in fact, Bob Bradley knows about the Premier League because he watches it all the time. But because he's an American, he doesn't know what he's doing. But let me just say, While there are other American managers in Europe, none more decorated, none more respected, Jesse Marsh. You know, Jesse Marsh, when he was first hired as head coach of the New York Red Bulls after the club dismissed Mike Petke, two successful seasons of Mike Petke, a lot of questions were coming in how they're going to play, what's he doing, what's going on. 
the changing of the guard at that time. And Jesse Marsh comes in, the local from Prince, you know, the local, I would say, you know, coaching at Princeton University, living in Princeton University, comes in with Ali Curtis, who was at the time sporting director of the club. He comes in, wins a supporter shield, reaches a U.S. Open Cup final, fights into a run into the CONCACAF Champions League, And now, in the middle of the 2018 season, gets brought into Red Bull Leipzig in the Bundesliga of Germany as an assistant coach, part of the staff. Then, last year, goes to Red Bull Salzburg in the Austrian Bundesliga, wins an Austrian league title, Wins an Austrian FA Cup title. Red Bull Salzburg about to do a double again. Winning already the Austrian FA Cup. Looking to win another Austrian Bundesliga title. And just before that season ends. With Nagelsmith, the manager, leaving Leipzig to go to Bayern Munich. Jesse Marsh, in the 2021-22 season, will now move to Red Bull Leipzig in the German Bundesliga, where he will be reacquainted with, excuse me, reacquainted with Tyler Adams, who will have Caden Clark next season, and he will manage Red Bull Leipzig. And we are going to have ourselves a man that will carry the American flag and the American soccer flag over to Leipzig, Germany. And it's going to be very, very fun. Jesse Marsh. What can you say about the man? Well, I can tell you about the man. Full of energy. Full of commitment. Demanding. Nice. Funny guy. Passionate. Hard-nosed. And he will tell you what you got to do, and he will explain to you what you need to do. If you watch between 2015 through the middle of 2018, Red Bull videos during training... During the match, the, and of course, halftime and back in the locker room, his instructions, oozing passion, telling his players what they need to do, how they have to do it, when they're going to do it, that is Jesse Marsh on a plate. The UEFA Champions League match at halftime as Red Bull Salzburg was at the cop against Liverpool. How upset he was. 
the first half of that match was not up to par. He cursed them out, not only in German, but in English. And what he did was inspire in Red Bull Salzburg to go back out in the second half, have a better second half. You got 45 minutes to do so. They were able to level the score until at the death, Liverpool saved themselves and got the three points. But when you have a manager in Jesse Marsh to ignite the passion out of his players, to go out and prove everyone wrong that they are not a cupcake team, that is when Liverpool learned the hard way. I tell you right now, Red Bull Leipzig is going to have a fun time. All the players will go to Tyler Adams and tell and ask him questions. What is he like? How is he as a manager? What will he do? What is this going to happen? When will this happen? How are we going to get along with him? And what will we do with him? Tyler Adams will give all of his teammates homework. Tell them what they have to do, what they need to do. And then the real school teacher will come over. Jesse Marsh has worked his tail off. I'll admit, there was a time that I thought before he came to the Red Bulls, Jesse Marsh was not a good professional head coach. The one stint he had in Montreal and it didn't work. Going back to college, managing Princeton University, getting a second chance. Didn't know how it was going to work, but you know what? I said to myself, maybe he'll learn. Met Jesse in person, shook his hand. Wonderful to talk to. Great guy to to talk to, hang out. He was funny, witty. And you know what? He respected you like you respected him. And this is why I will always believe that Jesse Marsh is going to be a fantastic manager one day for the U.S. men's national team. If U.S. soccer can develop some thicker skin one day and take the criticism. Because as of right now, right now, Jesse Marsh is ahead. We'll have to wait and see what will happen to him in the Bundesliga. We have to see how the attitude is towards him from the supporters of Red Bull Leipzig. And one day... Let's see what uh, Jesse Marsh will do if he does manage the Red Bull Club in Brazil. Because I'm telling you right now, if he can learn Portuguese and finish the Red Bull four-way, 
I'll tell you right now, Jesse Marsh, in my opinion, has done an amazing job running the Red Bull clubs of football. And maybe one day he'll come back to Red Bull Arena, come back to, to, uh, come back to us and manage again. I am proud of Jesse Marsh. I am proud of him. I'm happy for him. I'm excited for him that he's going to tackle a top-notch league. The German Bundesliga will be daunting. But I believe he will be up for the task and he will be up to take on all comers starting in the next season of the Bundesliga in Germany. But the big test, and it will, and it will be a test, to try and knock off Bayern Munich. If Jesse can really put the hoodoo, the hex, on Bayern Munich then everyone in Germany's got to be careful because guess what? There will be a new sheriff in town. And that will be Jesse Marsh. It will be him. Because this is a guy that you don't want to mess with. We'll have to wait and see how the patience is going to uh, appear. But until then, until then, all you can say is this. They picked the right man for the right job. And now they're going to have Tyler Adams helping out Jesse, dictating the tactics, the formation, and how to play football. Jesse Marsh, ladies and gentlemen, proud of him, excited for him, happy for him, and I know he's going to do a damn good job. So let's see. For the 2021-22 season, if Jesse Marsh will break up the dominance of Bayern Munich as he takes over for Red Bull Leipzig in the German Bundesliga. Great show for you tonight. We're going to concentrate on the USL this, uh, this show tonight. And uh, we have two recorded interviews. I'll have on Mr. Justin Papadakis from USL front offices talking about stadiums. But my first guest, recorded interview. Of course, the other interview with Justin Papadakis is also recorded. But the first one, Chief Business Officer Adam Benke of Queensboro FC. The club will start in the 2022 USL Championship season. But the best thing about Queensboro FC is that they have already announced Plans, schematics, that they are going to build a 7,500-seat stadium on the campus of York College. A couple of blocks away from the subway and from the Long Island Railroad Station in Jamaica, Queens. So that everyone can get to a proper soccer stadium in New York City. The first ever soccer-specific stadium in New York City. Here he is right now, Mr. Adam Benke, 
of Queensboro FC. Welcome back to the Four Scenes Fire American Soccer Show, ladies and gentlemen. My first guest today is a gentleman who is the chief business officer of the brand new expansion side, Queensboro FC, as they will enter USL Championship in the 2022 season. But a big caveat, they have a brand new stadium that will be ready to go as soon as they start playing in the second division of American soccer. Adam Benke joins us, Chief Business Officer of Queensboro FC. Adam, thank you for your time and welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Very happy to be here and excited to talk our favorite Friday afternoon uh, conversation of football. Absolutely, absolutely. If I can ask you this question, if I could, um, as we all know, this sport is very, very much entrenched in everyone's DNA, whether they come from England or they come from Italy, you know, Europe, Mexico, all around the world. And the most important thing I believe that must play a part uh, to having a professional soccer side is to play in a stadium where you must run it yourself. You must own the stadium so you can control the times control the, uh, the money situation, everything that's involved in owning a soccer stadium. And when I saw the reports from the USL website, I was shocked. I was happy. And at the same time, this to me is a big moment in American soccer and at the same time in the New York City area of the five boroughs. It is. It's one of those moments for us as a club that is really a, a historical milestone, cornerstone opportunity and moment for, for us as we build to 2022. Um, to be able to have a venue that we can all call home as the community, the club, and everybody that's involved um, is really special. Because like you mentioned, this is the epicenter of everything that we'll be doing, whether that's getting involved in the local community, having some incredible soccer matches, and this, this venue becoming a home for many. Um, and to do that in such a competitive market like New York is uh, a dream come true for all of us. And we hope that this becomes something that is truly embedded um, within our community and is really a force for good where we can host soccer matches, um, community events, camps, clinics, you name it, so that uh, our young athletes, whether they're on the academy team or just playing within the local um, uh, arena have the opportunity to see the professional athletes and, and look up to them and hopefully have role models so that they can be inspired to one day play for Queensborough FC as well. So thank you for uh, all the accolades and excitement around this. We are, we are very enthused and honored to have the opportunity to do this and have great partners in York College and, and the CUNY school system to bring this to life. Now, talking about York College, I mean, that must have been a great relief uh, off your back because, you know, they wanted you to be there. They wanted you to represent Queens, obviously. And, you know, it is a City University of New York uh, college. Th how much of this idea that they were in love with, of course, you know, obviously there has to be schematics and financial situations you had to discuss with them, but how important was it for them to understand that not only does this benefit for Queensboro FC, but it will benefit for their soccer program as well. Yeah, it benefits 
it benefits a lot of people and it, it's great to be able to have a place that is so accessible as well. You know, being in Jamaica, Queens, that's right there on the E, the J, the Z, the L-I-R-R, there's and seven plus different bus stations there. Um, it's accessible for, for many and from all over the surrounding area. Um, and then specifically looking at kind of the ecosystem within your college, you talk about the student body um, and what that venue can mean for many people, you know, whether it's the tournaments, the games and events, or even the commencement and initiatives that we'll have within the students' curriculum and, and clinics that we can all put together. Um, it's really just this synergistic relationship and collaboration that's going to benefit so many people. And that's what makes this, this very, very exciting um, as it transcends that kind of all, that entire vertical of, of, of academia and, uh, and sport. And the cross-section really is, is this venue, and that is for the holistic and overall community. Now, I want to ask you this. Before you're even looking for a, a spot to build a stadium, uh, how important was it to make sure that this club plays close to local transportation? Obviously, like you've already said, the subway system, the J, the Z, the E, um, of course, the Long Island Railroad, because you're going to get a lot of people from Manhattan as well as Brooklyn and in Queens and even from the Bronx, probably. Uh, they'll take the subway. And, of course, they'll connect to the major train stations, of course, the Atlantic Terminal in Brooklyn, New York Penn Station, even the new Moynihan Train Hall, which will also house uh, the Long Island Railroad, uh, Long Island City in Queens to get over there, and all the other suburbs in the, in the Long Island uh, area to come to Jamaica and then just walk straight down towards the, the campus. That's right. And it's so exciting. As you mentioned before, you know, being a, a local, you know, New Yorker, it's not easy to find a place to call home for a venue like this and to be able to, first of all, find a place in Queens was number one priority. Um, and then we were very fortunate that there are so many transportation options at this site specifically um, on the York or near the York College campus. So we hope that this provides access to many and all, and you'll see that not only in the transportation options, but as well as uh, when we go on sale with, with tickets. And we hope that this is a venue that is accessible for, for many. And uh, we don't want anybody to be, uh, have an obstacle or inhibited in any sort of way um, by that. We hope that this venue can truly be accessible, not only from a transportation perspective, but also um, from a monetary perspective as well. Oh, absolutely. And of course, you just have to say that, you know, this is going to be a stadium for your club, which is going to be in the second division, United Soccer League's Championship League. And it's been five, maybe between five to seven years that New York City FC has been inside the Major League Soccer in the top division. And while there have been those that have been waiting for them to build a stadium within the five boroughs, ideas of them talking about building a stadium within the five boroughs. They've remained in Yankee Stadium so far. And in some ways, you've beat them to the punch. I mean, your club representing the borough of Queens, possibly also the five boroughs, you basically, I know you haven't had a shovel in the ground yet, probably, but the renderings, the, the announcement, you guys are ahead of an MLS club within the five boroughs to beat them to get a stadium of your own. It's special um, and we're fortunate. And we, we do hope that they can find a, a venue and you know, we're, 
we're, we're in the position where our venue 7,500 seats. Um, they have a little bit more of a difficult task in probably looking at 20,000 plus. Um, so definitely have to give them the benefit of the doubt. And for the sake of the overall sport and the benefit of our community, our soccer loving community, we want everybody to find a soccer specific home and be able to build their own venue. Because like we mentioned earlier, it's just critical to the overall success of the fan base and the club. Um, and ultimately what we're all, you know, buying for and, and are a part of is the growth with uh, football and soccer um, here in the United States. So, um, you know, for, for, from our perspective, anybody that can have the chance to find a, a site for a venue, please <laughs> let's, let's make that happen sooner than later. Uh, because ultimately 2026 marks a special year for all of us here in the States with the World Cup coming our way. Um, and the more soccer-specific venues that exist, I think the better that will be for, for all of us and the development of uh, our future soccer athletes, uh, many of which are starting at a young age now. Um, but fast forward to 2026, we hope to see many of them uh, playing at that high of a level. And who knows, maybe a few from Queensborough FC as well. But a lot of that does start with the facilities um, and having those venues set up for, uh, you know, long-term sustainable success. How exciting will it be when you're going to have the ability or the opportunity to host a U.S. Open Cup home match, obviously, besides a league match in USL? And, of course, possibly when we get to the 2026 World Cup, and, of course, we'll probably see uh, a lot of uh, World Cup matches at MetLife Stadium, East Rutherford, New Jersey, that, uh, this stadium could be a place for a European national team, maybe an Asian or an African national team uh, or a South American national team to come and use your stadium as a training ground to prepare for a World Cup match. Yeah, how cool is that? That's such a great point, especially with the community that we get to call home. Um, you know, one of, our per one of our main purposes and missions here is to bridge communities together by way of the beautiful game. Um, and that's what that venue would represent because, like you mentioned, people from all over the world they get an opportunity to see whether their hometown country where they're originally from, even though they're living in Queens now, um, they are originally from some of those places and get to see a taste of their hometown right in their backyard in Queens. It's the perfect story great bridge between the communities. And that's what we hope to, to really represent and, and drive for as our mission is to unite those communities together. And that facility can represent that in so many ways, whether that is the training ground um, for some of those national teams to come and play, or even if it's on our own, setting up our own World Cup of sorts um, to play right there at that venue to unite all of our communities together, no matter where you're from, from around the globe. I think we all realize and know this, that uh, the common language is, is football. Um. If I can ask you this, what's it like with this ownership group? Obviously, former women's national, U.S. women's national team player, Ali Wagner's a part of it. You have the former Spanish international player, of course, a World Cup uh, champion, and David Villa, who spent uh, the last remaining years of his professional career in MLS with New York City FC, and, of course, uh, your main owner. What's it like to work with these people, um, to collaborate with them, and, you know, to have that drive and that push to build that stadium in Queens, in your college on their campus? Yeah, it, it's really special. It's a, it's a great group of people that really embody and understand the importance of the game and the growth of it in the United States and taking um, their experience collectively across the globe and, and trying to implement some of those best practices here in the States has really helped us um, you know, differentiate and set ourselves apart to have very ambitious goals 
uh, developing not only on the sporting side, an incredible pipeline of talent right out of our backyard here in Queens to hopefully um, create uh, phenomenal opportunities for them to develop as professionals and, and go overseas to different clubs and understand how, you know, the FC Barcelona's and the La Masia's work of the world and try to replicate that here in the United States with Queensborough FC. Um, their collective vision and, and experience really is next to none. Um, and to put that into one team uh, is already showing benefits with the way that our academy is developing and coming to life, um, inspired by the way that they've come up in a, you know, hopefully a non-pay-to-play model, which is an issue obviously here in the United States, but is something that is very unpopular in the rest of the world. Um, the fact that we can do that already with our academy and have that uh, unconventional non-pay-to-play model with our, with our fully funded academy is special and shows the vision uh, of what our ownership group is trying to achieve, and that is to open doors for the underserved and those that deserve an opportunity um, just by uniting them with the, the common language, like I said, and that is soccer and opening the door to opportunities so that they all can pursue their dreams. And there's already a few of those storylines happening with the Academy today um, with our open tryouts that we hosted um, and have some great talent in developing there. And hopefully we'll see them next year on the professional pitch in 2022. Obviously you were part of Loudoun United. Uh, of course they are affiliated with uh, DC United of MLS and uh, you were able to get that 5,000 seat stadium done for the uh, Loudoun Club. That must be special for you that you're part of two clubs in USL Championship level that not only you've built a stadium, but you've already got the renderings out for this one in Queens. Does that, how does that make you feel? I mean, basically, you're two for two in getting stadiums built uh, in the second division of American soccer. How does that feel for you on a personal level? It's, uh, it's really special. I appreciate you uh, acknowledging that. Um, what are the chances that somebody has the opportunity to build one club from scratch, let alone uh, two? It's, uh, for me, it's a dream come true. It's something that I've always wanted to do and be a part of. Um, and to be able to now do this in the greatest market in the country um, is really, really special to me personally. Um, I take a lot of pride in being on the leadership team here with Queensborough FC to drive not only the stadium development forward, but um, the overall culture within our club and be a part of this amazing community. Um, and ultimately, I, I believe in the USL. I believe in what's going on with the league and where we sit and our position within that. Um, there's something really special happening here, and, and I think that we're on the cusp of something um, that can impact the United States game of soccer in a special way. Um, and I hope that through Queensborough FC, we can continue to push the envelope and move things forward and increase standards and, and really set the bar um, as we develop this club from the ground level. Of course, sharing and collaborating with all, all of those that have go gone before us, because um, by no means are we the experts, but we, we, we really feel um, honored to have this opportunity in Queens and in New York uh, to lead the charge in this, in this big market. It's a huge opportunity for us um, with, with what's going on here in Queens. You know, it's, it's the home of soccer. It's the Mecca. Everybody here in our fan base loves and adores the game. It's religion. It's institution. Um, and to finally have a pro team and a venue to call home for all of us is it, ultimately meant to be. Um, we're just really fortunate to be the ones on the front lines making it happen. Adam, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, good luck in 2022. Good luck with the construction, of course, of the brand new Queensboro FC Stadium on the campus of York College. 
nothing but success for Queensborough FC and USL action and hope to have you on again sometime soon down the road. Thank you for your time, sir. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Adam Benke, Chief Business Officer of Queensborough FC. I want to thank uh, the club for uh, allowing Adam to come on the show. And um, I really am happy for them that they got a brand new stadium ready to go, ready to do some damage. And uh, let's see what they can do in 2022. It's going to be exciting and a lot of fun. Now, we have someone, of course, another recorded uh, interview directly from the USL uh, main offices down in Tampa, Florida. Justin Papadakis, he is not only the chief operating officer of USL uh, soccer, but he is also the chief real estate officer to help these clubs in USL or new clubs coming into USL to try and find a home to build a stadium somewhere down, some either down the road in a couple of years, maybe a while longer, or maybe you hope and pray you get a stadium right off the bat. And it's great to see USL understanding that a stadium is important to grow and the overall health of a club where they don't have to worry about paying rent to somebody else. Ladies and gentlemen, the taped interview with Justin Papadakis, once again, COO and Chief Financial uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Chief Real Estate Officer of the United Soccer Leagues. Welcome back, everybody. Daniel Feuerstein here, the American Soccer Show, as we discuss uh, a great day in United Soccer Leagues as Queensboro FC, not only coming into the league in the 2022 season, but they have already struck a deal with your college to build a 7,500-seat stadium within the five boroughs, especially in Queens, New York. Joining me to discuss stadiums uh, development and everything else involving the United Soccer Leagues, he is the Chief Operating Officer as well as the Chief Real Estate Officer of the United Soccer Leagues. This is Justin Papadakis. Justin, thank you for making time to the, come on the show, and I appreciate it that you are joining me today. Appreciate you having me. Excited to talk about, about Queens and uh, a lot of the exciting things happening across the USL as we kick off this season. Now, if I can ask you this, obviously the ownership group of Queensboro FC, um, you know, they wanted to put a flag uh, with the USL into the ground somewhere in the five boroughs. And when they announced, especially on the website of USL, that they're going to build a stadium. Uh, what does that mean for the United Soccer Leagues to add another potential ground that says USL is here to become, uh, you know, recognized as a, a league of choice as well for the game in this country? Well, I think it speaks to what, what we're doing all around the country, and that is uh, being the, uh, I believe, will we'll be the top uh, in terms of number builder of stadiums of, of any league uh, over the next five years. And what we're focused on is building stadiums that have first-class fan experience and one that are in our communities, uh, you typically downtown, so that there is transportation access, that the tickets are affordable for, for families and, and, and young, uh, young, young professionals, 
and that they can uh, enjoy on a week-in, week-out basis top-level professional soccer and support their club. That's important to growing the game, and that's what we're doing across the USL. Now, I have to say that uh, we've seen some tremendous stadiums being built uh, within United Soccer Leagues. Obviously, uh, Highmark Stadium in Pittsburgh is has always been, in my opinion, a must-have for the Riverhounds, how they have been developing uh, their players and having a stadium along one of the three rivers in the Pittsburgh area. Um, and, of course, I, I cannot excuse the crown jewel at the moment, which is Lynn Family Stadium, the home of Louisville City. That, my my goodness, is just an absolutely brilliant stadium that was built not just for Louisville City but for USL as well. Just talk about some of these clubs that wanted to build a stadium in mind. You know, what can you say about these clubs that have done such a wonderful job so far? Well, building, building stadiums, and particularly downtown stadiums, it, it's not easy. And so we've been focused here at the league office for, uh, you know, three, four years um, in putting together the, you know, the significant uh, due diligence and, and work that goes into building uh, soccer stadiums. So over the, uh, the rest of 2021, you're going to see more crown jewels uh, being announced by the USL. And what that means is for the players in our league and for the fans, our two most important stakeholders, they're going to get to play in beautiful venues and, and, and our fans and supporters are going to get to watch these amazing players that we have at the USL in first-class stadiums. And so it's just so exciting uh, to see – the you know three or four years of work start to come to fruition, and over the 2021 is going to be an inflection point for the USL. And as I said, um, if you like stadiums, stay tuned because we are going to announce uh, many significant uh, first-class stadiums uh, throughout uh, 2021. I can ask you this, Justin: when you get new ownership groups coming in and they want to have clubs uh, coming over to whether it be USL Championship, League One, hopefully League Two will have something as well. But, you know, when when you have an ownership group, let's just say for the heck of it, it's somewhere in Idaho, maybe even Boise, Idaho, and they want to have a club, what do you say to them when they come over, a new ownership group, and you tell them, listen, you know, we, we want you to be a part of this league, but hopefully somewhere down the road, whether it's a small timetable or maybe it's a future plan to build their own stadium. And, and what do you do as chief real estate officer to assist them to find the land to build such said stadium for the club and, of course, for the leagues? It's a great question. So the approach that we've taken and, um, you know, why I have chief real estate officer in my title is that, Myself, along with a great team, uh, with Dan Holman and Matt Rita that, that work with me, we are in 35-plus markets and have been for years working on our stadium. And so uh, typically, before we have those conversations with ownership groups, 
Uh, we've been in the market for several years, uh, working with uh, the, the community, uh, the soccer community, the uh, other stakeholders in you know city, county, state uh, to uh, look to see where we can build a stadium, that so we can assemble the, the land, the entitlements, um, and everything, you know, very complicated that, that goes into building a stadium. So uh, that's, I think, why when I say we have some exciting stadiums to announce later this year, um, that is because we've been working on them for, for several years now. And so it's exciting. Um, and that's really a differentiating point that we've had at the USL is that we've, um, you know, put in three or four years, depending on market, of groundwork uh, so that, you know, we'll be able to have these exciting announcements that you'll see in 2021. Obviously, you know, Indy 11 is going to build a stadium. I, I know a while ago they've had approval from the Indiana State Council of course, Indianapolis is the uh, capital city of the state of Indiana, but still, though, uh, I can't wait till there's a shovel in the ground for that place to get built. Love uh, the supporters of Indy 11. Um, and when you had Ford Madison come into play um, in USL League One, obviously they found a, a historic site, stands already built, they ready to go going forward. Is that what sometimes needs to be done, trying to find an existing site that is already, I guess, stadium ready before you even get anything built in the ground sometimes? Is that, you know, an easier um, an easier decision uh, unless they do build their own ground? Daniel, it's definitely easier, and I would have to take significantly less flights if, if, if that were the case. But what we... Um, unfortunately, uh, I think, unfortunately, but fortunately, what we want to do is build first-class venues. And so in very rare exceptions, like Madison, you have a recent stadium. It was in place just, you know, steps away from the university, steps away from downtown. Um, so it's just an amazing venue. And if you're in Madison, you definitely want to go check out a four Madison game. Uh, you mentioned Indiana, um, which and which is a great example. Um, I think with our League Two team in Fort Wayne, the uh, market Beasley and uh, a group of local investors, they wanted to uh, build a club for their city, and there is no existing venue. And so, what uh, I think you'll see from the group in Fort Wayne is, you know, they've been working in conjunction with us to build a, uh, a first-class new venue and uh, surrounding real estate development. And so uh, that's going to be a, an example of a uh, club, as you mentioned, from League Two uh, going up to the professional ranks. And along with that um, will be this beautiful uh, new, new venue. So, again, it's a, it's a lot of work. Um, we have just fantastic uh, city, county, state partners uh, like we do in Fort Wayne. And I think we're going to uh, build a new stadium for our team. But I think what's also important about these stadiums that we're building, Daniel, is that this, these stadiums are driving significant 
economic development for their community, whether it's, you know, the the 7,500 uh, people that are becoming to Queensboro's game at, at York College, uh, to, to uh, the new stadium that uh, just got approved uh, last week in Spokane, new uh, $30-plus million stadium. What that's going to mean for our community is that our supporters are going to go to the bars and restaurants before the game, uh, go watch an amazing uh, football match, and then go out afterwards. And and that is uh, it's incredible because we're building the game, but we're also building our community through the tremendous economic development that, that we're driving. Here's the one thing that I'm rooting for with a USL stadium, and I guess I'm going to have to throw Louisville City back into the fold here. Um, obviously, uh, I would love to see a national team match being played at the Lynn Family Stadium. I think that um, whether it be an early round World Cup qualifier or a friendly, maybe also CONCACAF can maybe host a, uh, a group stage match in Louisville. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know how much the capacity is, but the truth is, is that if you can get a national team match or a Gold Cup tournament group stage match in Lynn Family Stadium, in my mind, you know, USL has really reached a pinnacle and a level of, uh, you know, joy where I think having the men's national team or even the women's national team can play a home match in Louisville City. I think it would be tremendous. I think you're 100% right. And it's a conversation that we're having with the Federation. Uh, we are building first-class stadiums across the country. And the, the fans and supporters that are uh, in our community, I think, should be treated equally. They want to see their national team, both men and women, um, they want to see them come to come come to their city, and I think when you go uh, to a national team game in Louisville, and it's a sold-out uh, crowd, it's the soundtrack of that game, and the uh, further that you you know uh, ingrained soccer by having their national team come play in their hometown, that is you know that. That, that's what the U.S. soccer national team should be all about. So it's something we're, we're having those conversations. Um, we think the atmosphere at our stadium will be just absolutely electric, and it'll be, um, you know, an atmosphere that, you know, our, our great uh, men and women who play on our national team, uh, we, we think will we'll really enjoy and appreciate that, um, you know, there are, passionate soccer fans outside of uh, New York and, and uh, you know, New York City and in L.A. And so whether it's uh, Madison, Louisville, San Antonio, um, or, or the many other, you know, amazing communities that we have in the USL, uh, we, we hope that the national team uh, will, will come by and, and see what our, our venues and our fans are all about. This is Justin Papadakis, the Chief Operating Officer and the Chief Real Estate Officer of the United Soccer Leagues, discussing stadiums being built for USL, whether it be in Championship or League One, hopefully League Two as well, but we'll have to wait and see. But Justin, I appreciate your time. 
thank you very much for coming on, and uh, have a good evening, and I uh, hope to talk to you again soon. Great. Thanks for having me on, and uh, look forward to talking with you throughout the 2021 season. Justin Papadakis, the chief operating officer as well as the chief real estate officer for the United Soccer League, finding, uh, you know, the, finding the piece of land to build these new stadiums for current clubs, uh, currently existing, and of course, new expansion sides coming in. It's great to be, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, great for him to come on. I want to thank uh, Will McLaren uh, from USL as well for allowing him to come on and uh, talk about uh, the future plans of stadiums for United Soccer Leagues. You know, this is what's important to our country right now. And the last show I had on, you know, regular show with Carter Krishnar, Peter Wilt. Um, once again, I, I strongly believe, and I will firmly, and I firmly believe in this, that every single club of American soccer, professional and amateur, semi-professional, they must build stadiums to control the revenue, control uh, the tickets, control the times and the days that they're able to play. This is the only way you win when you can get promotion relegation. Until that happens, right now it's got to be the way it is. I'm not saying I want it to be like this forever. I'm just saying that this is the most important thing that we need to have when it comes to building stadiums in this country. Oh, my goodness. Excuse me. Oh. Because the reason is this. It's not just the whole promotion relegation situation. It's, it's everything else. That's why you need to have a calm and rational discussion when it comes to this situation. If you don't have a calm and rational discussion about this, then we're, it's all going to fall apart. No one wants to listen to each other. Everyone's yelling and screaming at each other. Then what's the point? It'll just be another shouting match, and someone's going to say, look, I give up. I, I can't work with these people if they're going to keep shouting me down. So – we can't act like babies here. We have to find a way to discuss these things and move forward. Now, some blurbs about uh, bringing back Red Bull uh, discussion segment. They defeat Toronto FC two goals to nil. Caden Clark once again does it again, and so does Fabio. Caden Clark stole a ball, fed Fabio. Fabio laid it off uh, to Frankie Amaya. He just ripped it inside the near post, one nil. And then, of course, uh, Drew Yearwood comes into the match in the second half. Uh, it looked like either it was passing. I thought he might have taken a shot, but it was passing. Fabio got a touch on it, but did nothing with it. No flag to see some form of interference or a card for some form of interference on Fabio trying to take a shot. Loose ball, keeper well out. Bono well out of, of his position to try and uh, secure the ball. Could not. Here comes Caden Clark. Low, hard smash into the net uh, along the near side post on the inside of it. And 2-0. 2-0 victory over Toronto FC. And for the New York Red Bulls, they have two wins, two losses, no draws, six 
six points, and all you can say is is that their early slump is out. They're done with it, and now they're going to take on a red-hot Philadelphia Union team down at Subaru Park, south, taking the New Jersey Turnpike south down to Philadelphia. And it's a situation where you just have to say that this is a very big three points for the Red Bulls. If they get a draw out of this, I think it's a, a, a proper and a fair result. Of course, Philadelphia advancing into the CONCACAF Champions League semifinals against Club America. They go to Mexico City in the first leg, and then they come back in the second leg later in the season. We'll have to wait and see when that happens. But other than that, I like uh, I, I like what Gerhard Struber has done with the club. I like what Caden Clark has done. You know, Caden Clark, three goals in four games, scored a goal each game at home. And what would happen? If he ever broke 20 goals in a season, this is what I'm saying. Technically gifted. Technically gifted. I have to tell you, Caden Clark amazes me every time he has the ball. He knows what to do with it, but then there's a time or two where... So all you can say is – dozed off there for a second. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> all you can say is um, right now Gerhard Struber has done a good job in these first four games, and it's just a situation where it just has to be, um, you know, got to keep on going, got to keep on playing, getting hungry, wanting it, needing it, and got to go and get it. Now – this message is for Red Bull supporters. Leave Chris Armis alone. It's like, you know, you, you, you continually want to let him have it. You continually want to, you know, throw stuff at him. You want to basically verbiage against him. Chris Armis is no longer here. Yes, he managed Toronto. But the thing is that he did his job. He thought he knew best. Leave Chris Armis alone. He has nothing to do with the Red Bulls anymore. He's managing Toronto FC. And if we do meet the Toronto FC again, up in Toronto, or you know, once this pandemic is over with, or somewhere in Florida, leave the man alone. He doesn't deserve this. He tried. He tried his best. He tried his hardest. It's a first-year head coach at that time. A first-year head coach. Leave the man alone. You know, I go on Facebook. I go on social media. I, I go all over the place. And the only and every time you, anyone talks about Chris Armis, you know, you have a hard on. You just want to go and just tear the man apart. You know why? Why? Okay, he didn't do a good job, but he tried his best. He tried his hardest. Did it work? No. No. 
No, it didn't work. But at least he tried. That's all you ask. He tried. All I can say is, is that, you know, you worry, if you're not going to worry about what Gerhard Struber does, and you're only going to worry about what Chris Armas did, then you're not moving on. No, I felt bad for him that he got sacked last year. I did. I felt bad for him. And this is not against Gerhard Struber. I'm not starting the anti-Struber fan club. I'm not doing that. Do I think Gerhard Struber is going to do well with this club? Yes. Is he going to do great things with the Red Bulls? Yes. But for a man that he tried his hardest, tried his hardest to make them a winner. Unfortunately, it didn't work. And there's nobody to blame but him. We all know this. But at least Chris Armas did his best. He did his best. That's all you can go by. All you can go by. Okay? And yes, I don't think Chris Armas was knowledgeable enough to do anything out there. But he tried, and that's good enough for me. Okay, I, you know, I'm guilty as charged. I'll never forget what he did for my mother and me, calling me up and sending and giving my mother and me condolences on the death of my father, who died of Parkinson's back in August 1st of 2019. I'll never forget that. What Chris Armas did for my mother and me was unbelievable. No, I'm not expecting Mike Pecky to call me. I'm not expecting Hans Bakke to call me. I'm not expecting Jesse Marsh to call me. I'm not even expecting any former head coaches to call me and say to me, um, we're sorry your father died. We're, we, we hope you're doing all right. No, I'm not expecting that. I wasn't expecting Armas to do that either. But you know what, though? The sentiment was nice. I was very happy. It was great. And for that, I will never, ever forget the, the, uh, the moment of kindness that he showed me on the uh, days that I was grieving for my father, sad that he's no longer on this world. I wish he was still with me today, but things have to come to an end. He didn't deserve to die from Parkinson's. And all I can say is is that for Chris Armas to take the time, to take his time out of spending time with his family, setting up a game plan, doing something nice uh, for people who he loves and cares for, and to call me and say, I'm very sorry what happened with your father. That man gains my respect no matter what. Maybe it changes my opinion about him. 
but I still respect that man for what he's trying to do. He is now Toronto's problem. Chris Armas is now the head coach of Toronto FC. He is their problem. So just leave him alone. And the next time you you play Toronto FC up at uh, in up in BMO Field or in Florida, just leave it alone. It makes no sense to talk about the man because he's no longer here anymore. He's no longer here. And let's just say this right now. If he gets an MLS Cup title before the Red Bulls do, take it back. You won't. I know you guys. You won't. You didn't like what Amro Tarek said on Twitter? Tough. Maybe it's nice to maybe you should maybe grow up a little bit. Grow up. It's over with. He's no longer on the club. He's no longer giving out instructions. Leave him alone. Okay? That's why we got Gerhard. That's why the Rebels got Gerhard Struber. They moved on. They got somebody else they feel is a little bit better than Armas. Actually, he's a lot better than Armas, to be honest with you. But you know what, though? If Chris gets a fair gets a fair chance and he learns while he's doing his job, you know what? Then maybe he does something right. But until then, until the next game against Toronto FC, and when we get to that next game against Toronto FC, which is going to be on the road, leave him alone. He's not worth your time. Let him just do what he wants to do in Toronto, and that's it. Leave him alone. And that's all I can say about the match. That's all I can say about Chris Armas. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is, I want to thank my guests tonight, Adam Benke, Chief Operating Officer of Queensborough FC, and, of course, um, <clears throat> Justin Papadakis, Chief Operating Officer of USL, as well as the Chief uh, Real Estate Officer of the United Soccer Leagues for being on the show tonight. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Have a good night. Take care so long. And bye-bye for now. Have a good night, everybody.